unless I am convinced by the testimonies of the scriptures and by clear reason, I am bound by the scriptures that I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. Martin Luther said this as he stood before the the Holy Roman Emperor and was asked by him if what he said was true, if what he had said that scripture taught was true or not, and if he was willing to recant it, if he was willing to take it back. This coming Tuesday, October 31st, 2017, we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation that happened or began on that same date in 1517. But what are we really celebrating? Are we celebrating really, really vast reform and change that Martin Luther brought to the Christian church and really all of Western society? Are 950 million people who call themselves Protestants worldwide, are they celebrating a man from whom they get their identity? Are we as Lutherans and a Lutheran church, are we celebrating our history and our heritage? This coming Sunday, this Tuesday, and really this next month as we jump into our Reformation sermon series, what are we celebrating? Well, I hate to throw a wet blanket on the celebrations real early, but it's actually something quite simple. We're celebrating faithfulness. More specifically, we're celebrating faithfulness to the words of God. We're celebrating faithfulness to the message that we are saved not because of what we do, but because of what God did. We are saved because in Christ, God gives us his grace. And he gives it to us through faith in the message of the gospel. That's what Martin Luther stood for. And that is what we celebrate. However, faithfulness to that message doesn't come without painfulness. And that's no more evident than in the life of Martin Luther. We see a man who who genuinely and labeled a heretic. We see Martin Luther labeled an outlaw. We see him by the the Holy Roman Emperor himself be dubbed a man that could be killed without fear of punishment. We see him lose friends. We see him despised and defamed because of what he stood for, the word of God. And we don't even have time to talk about all the personal and spiritual trials and temptations, the the onfectung, the spiritual angst that Martin Luther went through all because he fully and wholly clung to the word of God. No, faithfulness to the word is not without painfulness, but That's no surprise to you either. Sure, there's times where you and I share God's word with people we love, people we know, and and they thank us for it. They rejoice with us because we're talking about the gospel. But there's times, and you've been there, where you have to take out the sharp parts of God's word, the mirror of God's word that, that shows us our sins and people don't rejoice. They shake their heads and maybe they even shake their fists at you and they they walk away. You talk to the the boss or the coach and you tell them, Sundays, Sunday mornings are a priority for me. 
And what you hear is that, well, there, there will be no promotion or starting spot for someone with that attitude. You go online and very privately and very humbly, you write a message to a friend that is expressing their political views or maybe showing off their body in a way that doesn't let Christ's light shine and they unfriend you. You try to talk to your friend about his drinking habits and he just labels you a bad friend, someone who doesn't understand. You talk to the girls about, well, let's be honest, the gossip and you know as soon as you leave, they're going to gossip about you. You talk to the person in, in your life group or maybe the person in your own family about the fact that they have not been in church for two months and, well, they just tell you that you don't understand, that you are just being hard on them. No, the, the persecution that we experience as Christians today, isn't, it isn't because of our public writings, our public debates, or our sermons, but it's because of the private acts that we do. The small, small and silent acts of simply living out our faith and, and telling someone we love them, showing someone that we care by pointing out maybe something that's spiritually right in their life. And what do we get for it? We get pain. And even though it comes from a place of love, not from a place of condensation, of us riding in on our hide horse, but a place that genuinely wants to see someone better, living more spiritually, more godly, we get pain because of it. Well, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to do one thing. Exactly. Nothing. It makes me want to be quiet. It makes me want to, you know, play it a little cooler. Maybe not be so obnoxious with my faith. But that's why I'm thankful for the example of Martin Luther. That's why I'm thankful that God's word put in the story of Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was a man that, well, Dr. Luke gives some high praise. In describing him, he calls him a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace, full of power. Not a bad resume, right? Well, it was Stephen who was hired by the New Testament, the early Christian church, to help out with a problem they were having. To help out serve the influx of widows that were in the congregation. And Stephen did that. He not only had a big heart, but he also had a powerful voice and a beautiful mind. Because when Stephen got done serving tables in the morning, he would go out into the marketplace, he would go out into the synagogues, and he would debate some of the wisest, most brilliant theological minds in that day that came from all over the Roman Empire to Jerusalem. He would debate them, and Stephen would win. Oh, if Stephen were to be someone's child, it would be a mix between the kind-hearted Mother Teresa and the bold and boisterous Martin Luther. And yet not everyone loved Stephen. You see, in Jerusalem, in the very same city where Jesus Christ was put on trial and accused by false witnesses, yes, Stephen was put on trial by false witnesses too. And it was for the very same thing that Jesus said. They accused him of preaching against the temple, preaching against the law, preaching against Moses, saying that this temple would be destroyed by Christ and be raised just three days later. 
1,500 years before Martin Luther would do it. He would stand before the religious and political elite of his day, and he would be asked to take back what he said. And this is what Stephen had to say. We're in Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 51. Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. In what is the longest sermon recorded in Acts, Stephen goes all the way back to Abraham and talks about Isaac and Jacob. And he talks about Moses and how God was faithful to all of these people and to all of us by fulfilling the promise that he made, that he would send a prophet, no, someone who is more than a prophet, to save us from our sins. And he says, you killed him. You murdered God's kid. And they just shook his head. They didn't even believe him and throw, he throws down what has to be one of the best biblical disses that there is. And he says, your hearts and your ears are uncircumcised. To a group of men, to a group of people who valued their keeping the law and what that meant about their standing with God, this was a bold attack. It would be as if I called you a bunch of backwoods hillbillies who had still never been baptized, and that's how you're asking, acting. Oh yeah, they had beef with Stephen for what he said, but he didn't stop there. He kept going, and he finished his sermon. And the funny thing is, Peter, the apostle Peter, he preached a very similar sermon not long ago on Pentecost. And what we see is people repent. People turn to God because of the message that we heard. That's not what we see today. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, but Steve, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Instead of humility, we see hate. Instead of repentance, we see rage. Instead of childlike faith, trusting that Jesus did what he said he was going to do, we see childlike behavior as grown men stick their fingers in their ears and cry out so that they, they couldn't hear what someone was speaking to them, so that they couldn't hear the gospel. 
on because of that, instead of God's mercy, we see the Christian church's very first martyr. We see Stephen killed because of faithfulness. He endured a whole lot of painfulness. And if you're following along in our sermon guides, that's our first blank for the day, is that so often our faithfulness to the very words of God is what causes painfulness. Faithfulness causes painfulness. But here's the thing, the persecution that began on that day, it, it hasn't stopped. Right up from that day to the present, we are actually living in the most highly persecuted time for Christians ever. In the last hundred years, there have been more Christians put to death because of their faith and their confession in Christ than the first 19 centuries combined. In places like East Asia, Christian people are still being forced to go into labor camps for no other crime than their faith. In places like Somalia, people who are maybe even suspicious of you, of giving up the Islamic faith, are rushed to an execution. And in places like Uganda, there's young Christian. But one day, a missionary came to her school and told her all about God's son. God's son who was true God and yet true man and came to this world and literally saved the world. Saved the world from their sins. Susan had never heard that message before. And so on that day, she became a Christian. And in the small village that she lived in, she looked up where she could find out more about Christ. She started going to the Christian church. And then one day, as Susan and her brother returned from home, their father dragged them out into the street in broad daylight, put a knife to Susan's brother, looked at Susan and said, if you do not stop going to that Christian church, I'm going to kill your brother and you as well. But Susan didn't stop. Susan kept going. And because of that, her father grabbed her, took her into a room of the house, threw down a mattress, threw her down on it, and told her not to move until she was ready to deny Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And then he turned, walked out of the room, locked it, and he didn't return for three months. Susan survived, but just barely, because her brother would pour water under the door so that she could lap it up. And every once in a while, he, he would stick a banana under the door as well. After three months, the neighbors started to wonder, where, where is Susan? And they asked the scared little brother, who told? And immediately they called the police, busted open the door, and there was Susan, still alive. They rushed her to the hospital where she received the attention that she needed, and she needed a lot because her, her bones on her feet began to malform because of the position she assumed for three months. When hospital officials and investigators asked her why she didn't escape and why she didn't leave and why she didn't even move off the mat, she didn't miss a beat. She replied that her father said that leaving the mat would mean denying Christ and that she could not do that. All over the world, there are men, there are women, 
And yeah, there are children holding relentlessly onto the word of God because they realize there is perhaps no greater privileges that we have in this life than to have access to that, the word of God. And they know that the gospel, it is the power of salvation for whoever believes. There's not ashamed of it because they know what Christ said. They know whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And yet it is their faithfulness that causes such dramatic painfulness. And I don't know. I don't know if we can relate to that. I mean, maybe, maybe in some ways we can. Sure, we are not standing before kings and councils. We are not having stones thrown at us. And we're not being abused and violently persecuted by people that should love us. But at the same time, we do. We do suffer emotional pain when, when people make fun of us or leave, despise us or cancel our friendships because of what we believe. But the question is, how, how do we handle that? Or do we just avoid it? Do we avoid faithful proclamations of the, world, of the word just to avoid a, a painful situation? I don't talk to that friend because, well, I, I, want, I want people to like me. I don't say the hard thing to that person because, hey, I, I, I want to maintain this relationship. I, I want you to come to my church. I want pleasure, well, let's be honest, over pleasing God. And so I don't talk to my children about the choices of friends that they're making. I don't talk to my friend about his sobriety. I don't talk to this group of people about the gossip and, and the cursing that's going on every time we talk. No, I do all of it, and, and so I avoid pain. So what, what are you saying, Pastor? You want us to be like Christian masochists who, who suffer for always and look for pain? No. But think about this. A privatized faith is a compromised faith. Here's what I mean by that. A faith that becomes so private, becomes so secluded to just yourself that it never ever gets shared with someone else. We have to wonder, is it faith at all? To the one who claims to be faithful and yet avoids everything that is painful, you have to ask, are you really a disciple? Stephen stood before a group of people who were proud of their Jewish heritage, who prided themselves in their history. And he asked them, do you appreciate your history enough? Do you appreciate your history enough not to repeat the past mistakes? So I'm going to change the question just a little bit this morning. As a group of people who are celebrating their history, who are celebrating their history, get together. Do you appreciate your heritage enough to live by it. If the, if the Reformation is about one thing, it is about a, a total and whole look to Scripture as the only authority for our life and for the life to come. And will you live by that? As we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation, we're going to, of course, we're going to look back. 
we're going to look back and we're going to thank God for the past history, the years of his grace. But it might also be helpful to look forward and ask ourselves, what will future generations, even our kids, even our grandkids, say about our faithfulness in the face of painfulness? I wonder. But as I wonder, I think it might be helpful for us that we remember the next time that pain pokes to maybe take a page out of Stephen's book. To take a page out of Stephen's book and look up. I mean, literally, look up and see that we have a heavenly father who is cheering us on. Our faithfulness to God's word is most certainly off for the pain. And here's what I mean. A relentless holding to the very words of God, an unshakable hold to the word of God gives us some incredible gifts. It gives us an unusual, an unusual optimism. As Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, an angry man began to gnash their teeth and get angry at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you realize what him seeing that means for you? It means that Jesus is standing next to the right hand of God and therefore he is ruling everything for you. He has set you free from everything that has enslaved you. Sin, death, shame, gone. Pain, gone. Because God stands, or Jesus stands at the right hand of God, that means he is ruling everything for you, the one he loves. An unfailing hold on the word gives us, yes, an unusual optimism and also an unshakable strength. For in scripture, we find that we have a God who is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is a mighty fortress. No, it is scripture that tells us we can have an unusual optimism and unlimited strength against anything that anyone could ever do to us, but we can also have an unshakable confidence. In the face of death and certain pain, Stephen left everything into the Spirit's hands. Remarkably, before he he died, he, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He put everything in God's hands. And God tells us that we can do the same. In Matthew chapter 10, he promises us when he says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but it will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Unlimited strength, unshakable confidence, and certain and certain optimism. That's what an un dying hold on God's word gives us, but most of all, it gives us this. It gives us unconditional forgiveness. That's what God's word gives to us. It gives us forgiveness free and full from Christ, and it gives us forgiveness that's ours to give to others. 
So often the pain that we experience because of our faith isn't physical. It doesn't require physical healing, but it requires spiritual healing, emotional healing, right? Because the words that are harmful and hateful aren't easily forgotten. And yet it is the forgiveness that we have received that cures that pain, that makes it go away. And that is our our last fill in the blank. And our big idea for the day is that faithfulness to the word of God cures painfulness. It cures it in a way that's not like a Band-Aid that just covers it up. It doesn't just help us to cope or to tolerate the pain, but faithfulness to the word of God actually changes things. It actually makes the Christian condition better. That's because of dandelions. A pastor once told me the story about a young man, seven years old. His name was Paul, and his backyard was filled with dandelions, and he hated them. He hated dandelions in his backyard. And so one day he had in mind that he was going to go out and kill them all, get rid of them all. And so he went, he started to kick them, he started to stomp on them. He took his Fisher Price golf clubs and methodically he went up and down his backyard until all of them were gone except for one. And with determination, he picked up that dandelion, blew on it, and destroyed the top right off thinking he had done what he had set out to do and get rid of all the dandelions. This young man named Paul went back inside. At least he thought he did what he tried to do. If you know anything about dandelions, you you know how they live, you know how they thrive and how they survive. It's because when the wind blows and when their tops pop off, well, the the seed, it spreads. And that is what the first and arguably the worst pain inducer and prosecutor of the Christian faith did, or at least thought that he was going to do. On the day Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You want to know what the Apostle Paul, soon to be, thought he was doing when he went throughout the church? You want to know what he was actually doing? You want to know what Susan's father thought he was doing when he violently threw her on that mattress. But you know what he actually did? You want to know what's happening when people step on you or at least feel like they're kicking you when you try out of love to share God's word with them? Well, by the Holy Spirit, they are spreading the very words of God. We started out this uh, sermon series asking the question, how is God's church built? Well, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we see this. 
We see that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But you remember how we started this sermon series? Is with Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Acts 1, verse 8. It is an undying hold on the word of God that leads to an unflattering and unmissing testimony to the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to scatter the good seed, the good message of his love. And it happens in the most bizarre way. It happens through our pain. Oh, we have a saying for that, don't we? No pain, no gain, right? And yet it's Jesus who actually said that first. Because God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He uses me and he uses you. He uses our proclamation, even in a situation of pain, to make gains for him and for his church. And so let's start building. Amen.